0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Ponds, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: In the resurrection of Christ, at least in information, not in truth because He is God. But now you have erected for other people who might embrace that and they think they're on a heavenly trip. The only problem is they're on a heavenly trip to hell because that's not the truth. Now think about that for a moment. If you're saying good works is what gets you to heaven, there's no grace in there, it's all of you, all good works, then what you're saying is Jesus never did need to die. So the whole thing of Jesus is not necessary, it's a farce. If you're saying that going to heaven is by grace through faith, but also you must do something to get saved or to stay saved, then you're saying that what Jesus Christ did was good, but it wasn't good enough. I have to help him out. He did his part. i got to do my part. You don't have grace then. You have perverted grace. And the only grace is is where God says, you don't deserve to go to heaven. You don't deserve your sins forgiven. You don't deserve to have me in a personal relationship together. But I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do it by sending my son to you. You don't deserve it. He died on the cross, rose again, and if you engage by faith alone, then you are now receiving that grace of God. And so those of you who are our guests today, I really love you. But I want you to know God loves you more and He proved His love and that while you were yet sinners, He died for you. Over that verse, you could write the word, that's grace. <laughs> and the sister word is, that's mercy. It's all put together. So do the grace test with them. It's very important. We're saved by grace, kept by grace, disciplined by grace, and taught by grace. It's all God's grace. The fourth test is the character test. So when you go to seminars and you listen to these guys and you read the books and you hear these people that are teaching, does it pass the character test? I'm going to speak a little bit to this, and I'm I'm speaking about myself. And those of you on the radio, I want you to know I know what I'm saying. There are people today, for whatever reason, they feel more comfortable with staying home and watching television evangelists, great Bible teachers for themselves on TV, whomever they might be. And I'm not going to identify them, although I'd sure love to give you some of my opinions on some of them, and you can ask me privately, and I will. And remember, opinions are like armpits. We all have them, they all stink. But I'll give you my armpit, like Carol says, not hers, mine. So anyway, I'll give you that later. But right now, listen to what I'm about to say. It is very easy to be enthralled by a great speaker. Yay. A great communicator, which means a speaker can give you a lot of information, but a communicator reaches into your heart. But what he's speaking to you does not necessarily mean it's accurate. But a great speaker. You go to the seminars. They're great from the distance. You hear them. You follow them like a guru. And you make sure and you know a little bit about their, their, their doctrine, and they may be doctrinally right. I'm not even slamming that part of it. But here's the big question about character. Do they live what they speak? Think about what I'm about to say. You can be a great communicator of truth and we might be able to receive it, but there is are especially power when someone is modeling the message. The great tragedy today is that we don't always see that these guys live what they preach and teach. So now what happens is we're probably as, as enthralled by it. The better the communicator, the more we'll listen to them instead of how true of their life do they live to that message that is doctrinally straight so let me just encourage you to do the character test find out a little bit about them it's very important that we do that there's one man that's on television now his past some 20 years ago he left his wife married a secretary you'd have to know them to know that you don't see that on television He stole the name of a church that was in his community and now he names his church after that and another church basically had to change their name and fold up after it was a thriving church because he just sucked that name away from them. All the property that's owned is not owned anything by the church nor denomination. It's all owned by him. So he owns millions of dollars with the property that people have given to. It's now his. He raised money for a school but instead of doing that he put it towards the radio and television ministry. Doesn't believe in eternal security. Has a skewed view of the nation of Israel and of the Jew and a whole bunch of other stuff that's in question as well. And so all I can tell you right now is that you can be a great communicator, but does your character back up what you really believe and preach? The next character, the last one is a quick one, but it's the edification test. Does what you're being taught by that person through modeling and messaging, does it build up God's people? If they're using God's word, God's word will destroy the sin and the evil but will also build up the believer. And so will it really do that? Now, why is it best that you hear from a teacher and test what they have to say? Now, listen to the rest of the verse. It says, test everything, hold on to what is good. Now, some of you are flipping your paper, and that's okay, because I know you want to get onto the other. But listen to this. The reason we set this test up, we don't despise prophecy, so we want to receive it. We want to test all the prophecy, all the Bible teaching that's coming our way, is not so that we become a critic of everybody i'm a critic of that preacher that teacher we now enter into discernment ministries and we kind of put down everybody because we take everybody's message and we take a sound bite out of it and now we discount them except for that one discernment ministry who they're perfect because they're god's gift to the church the problem with all of that is we become destructive and this verse says we test it so that we now will do the positive hold on to that which is true So instead of being a critic of someone else and spending your energy always criticizing others, take the truth that you are told, embrace that truth, and teach that truth no matter the cost so others can have it as well. And that's what it's talking about. Hold on to the truth. Don't just be the world's greatest biblical critic of others. Demonstrate grace and truth. Grace before truth. Okay, let's go a little bit further here because once we talked about God's will for us, God's word to us, Now we need to move into God's work in us because the biggest question now is, okay, pastor, I know all of that to be true, but I I can't do what you're saying. I, I, I don't know if I can pull all this thing together. And you're right, you can't. So God has to do it within you. God has to be the one to help you rejoice. God has to be the one to help you to pray unceasingly. God has to be the one to get to thankful for everything. God is the one who's got to remind you of the Spirit's power and source in your life and why you don't want to quench Him. God is the one that tells you, you better look at the prophecies that are out there. Don't despise them. You better receive them. But if you're going to do that, you need to test all of this. So He says, you can't do this by yourself. The Spirit of God has to do that. Now before He gets to do that, You've got to understand, there's one more step, and this is critical. And that is that we have to look at the evil and avoid every kind of evil that's in our life. Now, when I see that phrase, it says here, avoid the evil, avoid all appearance of evil, and all of that. I got thinking about that. And I want to think about some mature Christians. And I'm going to put something before you and see if you think this might be true too. We have over here two columns. We have the column over here that we know absolutely that that is wrong. That is sin. That is sin that's a pervert, that's wicked, that's evil. And you might come up with your own ideas what in the Bible would say that is evil and it's so evil, you wouldn't do it. You just know you wouldn't do it. That's in this column over here. Then we have another column over here that we say this is pretty bad stuff but and I'm working on it and... And I know it's not really good, but I can tolerate it a little bit right here. And as long as nobody else finds out about it, and as I'm walking on I'm a little bit better than I was before. And so now we have this horrible thing over here, and we have this column over here that sins are kind of, kind of bad, but not real bad. The maturing Christian, did you catch that phrase? The growing, progressing, maturing Christian is moving the items that they're tolerating over here into the column over here that they're going to avoid the non-maturing Christian recognizes that there are two columns in their life and they're allowing it to be and kind of hoping that this other column that has the kind of mediocre sins will eventually kind of jump over to the I won't do that any longer. This verse doesn't say wait on God and He'll tell you when to avoid sin. Here he says, as a straight command, you've got some stuff in this column, all that stuff has got to be transferred over with one little click, copy, paste into this column right over here and I have to avoid it. Now, Being a pastor for 35 or 40 years and knowing people the way that I do, I can tell you what your sins are. Let me go further. I can tell you what your secret sin is. Knowing you that I've been here five years, I know what some of your private secret sin is, even this very moment. I could look at you and come up to you and tell you what that sin is. It's the one you're thinking about right now. (laughs) That's all that I know. (laughs) Relax, okay, relax. All right. All right. Now, I know you're chuckling here, and I don't want to chuckle over sin, but I want to ease the tension a little bit, you know. Are you all okay? Okay. All right. But I can't leave it there. That secret sin that you kind of pet, and you pray that it doesn't come up on our PowerPoint screen, you know, nobody else finds out about it, that's, the, that's in this column over here, folks. And it's got to go into avoid it in that column. And maybe just one dedicated guy, one dedicated gallon here is going to say, Pastor, I'm going to take it and I'm going to move it today. I, I've got to avoid that. And I want to embrace you. I want to celebrate you. I want to high-five you. I want to tell you that you're making the best choice right now at that moment, for right now, is to take that and put it in another column and change it. But while you do that, maybe I'm one of those hard co- coaches or maybe I'm what they call a tiger pastor. I don't know. You know you know what I'm saying if you're following the, the, the newspapers. But I'd like to say, don't let it be one. Why let it be one? Avoid it all. Every kind. Some of you say, well, how how do I do that? Well, the best way to win a boxing match against evil in your life is don't get in the ring. Wherever you are, whatever you do, whatever is part of that sin, for you, you've got to get out of it. If it's a relationship of moral impurity, get rid of it. If it's pornography, don't say you're just looking at the screen. Get rid of it. Whatever it might be, you can't get in the boxing ring with it. Do you have the power to do that? No. But here's what you do have the power to do, and I do too. Here it is. We have the power to choose. We can choose to say no to this, and the greater power source is to say yes to the Holy Spirit. So all I've got to do is to choose. Which, go with me in the same passage a little bit further in this. Look what it says here. Because this becomes now the most incredible prayer in this letter that Paul wrote. Here's what he says. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And then he goes on with a few other things. This is huge. He's just saying, avoid, do all of this stuff. And then it's saying, let the God of peace himself set you apart in all of this. this This is incredible that I don't have to do it all by myself. I make the choice, I do the yielding, and then he then takes over. This last Friday I needed to get a haircut. Carol says I was looking like a wild man of Borneo, and she said, you need to get a haircut, you know. I said, okay. I tried over and over to get a haircut on Friday, first to try to find one that was open and wasn't too busy and all that. I went back three times to get a haircut. Now I'm going somewhere with this. I had to make the choice to go to the barber And sit there while they cut my hair. And so again, letting God change things in my life is not like I just sit back and He washes my hair. I have to choose to put myself underneath Him and allow Him to internally transform me. Now stay with me. Listen carefully. Salvation comes in three parts. First, you have justification. When you trusted Christ, you're declared righteous. That's in the past. It's done with. You never have to be justified again. God says you are declared righteous the moment you trusted Christ. Then he says the second is sanctification. I'll talk about that in a moment, so keep that on the front burner. The last part of our salvation is glorification. When we get to heaven, we're totally glorified, totally perfect. There's no more battle with sin. So you have, I'm justified in the past, I'm being sanctified in the present, and then in the future, I'm going to be glorified. Now, with the sanctification, let's talk about that. Because this is how I do what we've learned all through the book of 1 Thessalonians. This comes with what is known as, here it is, positional sanctification. When I trusted Christ, God says, all right, you're my child, so I look down at you as if you're already perfect. He says, I know you're not, but I look at you as already perfect. And in a sense, you are perfect in me, in heaven, positionally. The second one is what we might call practical. Okay? Practical. I would like to change that and say it's not just practical, it's progressive. So it's happening more and more. This is how that I am every day becoming more and more like Christ. Every day I'm being separated to be like Him. Every day that sin is going from one column to the other column. Every day there's changes in my thought, talk, and walk. That's progressive. And I hope that every day, hopefully almost every minute, every moment, I am progressing. That's practical. That's happening every day. I am not perfect yet. But I'm working on it. Okay? And then the last part of that is something that's even more important. And I like that because it talks about the future and that's perfect sanctification. That fits under glorification. No longer do I have to allow God to sanctify me. He has now done that. I'm completed. I'm already in heaven with Him. I preached a funeral this last week of a man who was a famous chef on the island at the Moana Hotel. And while I was there. We talked about his salvation experience and all the rest and how excited he was because after I got done, the funeral director came up and he said, yeah, I met this guy and he was just a drink. We'd be at the bar all the time. And I thought, oh. But that was before he trusted Christ. And when he died, those that knew him knew that he forsook all of that and all he did was to give, to give, to give, to give to other people. That's where you went from positional to progressive to finally perfect sanctification. Well, folks, I want to leave you with something with this book. If you will, look at the very bottom of your outline because you want to see here where it says that He will do it. That's your focus. I don't have to do it. He does it in me. He's faithful and I'm going to let Him do it. So what am I going to let God do on the inside out? Look at Monday. On Monday, that's going to start tomorrow, I'd like you to rejoice in God's presence in each place you go. If you go to the beach, you rejoice in the Lord. If you go to work, you rejoice If you go out for breakfast, you go rejoice in the Lord. If you're with your kids, you rejoice in the Lord. I want you to see His presence in your life every day. Brother Andrew and others talked about practicing the presence of God. Tuesday, pray the first two minutes of every event. You arrive at work, first two minutes you pray. When you get in your car to drive home and face the traffic, take a couple minutes to pray. Start your day, Lord, what do I do? How do I handle this? How do you want me to deal with this? You pray. On Wednesday, give thanks for at least three new things in your life. Could be something very small. Could be something very big. But if you start thanking God for something, at least three new things, you start looking at the sovereignty of God and how good He is. Find three things that you can thank Him for. You parents are taught to praise your kids at least three times a day for something they did good to affirm them. Well, I want you to go to that and throw it up to God now. What has God done or permitted in your life that you can thank Him for? Number four, Thursday, follow the Spirit's prompting in one selflessly spontaneous way. Is there something you can do for someone else without them knowing that you did it? Spontaneously, do something. A random act of goodness for that person. Friday, maybe read a little red chapter of the Bible. Some of you, you need to read the Old Testament. Some of you, you need to read some of the prophets that you can hardly pronounce their names. But read it with your eyes open and for something to apply to your life. Leviticus might be a good place to read a rich book. It was interesting, I went to my bookshelf on Leviticus, and I have a commentary, look up here, I have a commentary on Leviticus this thick. I thought, how in the world can anybody find enough stuff in Leviticus to write that much? Someone who can see God in every word in the Bible. Saturday, make a list of the four best things that God has brought to you from His Word. Four truths, four principles. Maybe take out all your notes that you've got, from First Thessalonians. And draw from it a principle that God has given to you. Character he's developing in you. Principle for a decision that you're about to make. So you go to him and ask him. And then thank him for those truths. Then finally on Sunday, write down the four words. Here it is. He will do it. So you don't do it in the flesh. Sanctification is not something you do on the outside. Sanctification is something that happens on the inside as you become like him. Well, there's a lot more we could be saying about this. But I think it would be good for us to... Have a moment with the Lord right now. So, with every head bowed and every eye closed. An abundant life is not life made up with health and wealth, but it's a life made up with God in it. A life made up knowing that we're at peace with the Lord. A life that is guiltless. A life that knows that we've been forgiven. Common phrases today, a life that we know we're in a good place. Now, for those of you that are not certain about that, remember he came to give life first. To get the abundant life, you had to get the life first, eternal life. And so, perhaps right now for you, this is the day. I'm thinking of how many hundreds, maybe thousands, who have died instantly. Thinking that maybe they could take care of the eternality later, and they didn't get the chance. So right now, between you and God, you might humble yourself, and we've all we all done this that have come to Christ. It was easy to humble ourselves when we saw the holiness of God, the love of God, and the sinfulness of ourselves. We didn't have to have people tell us that we're a sinner. Our own conscience told us that we missed the mark of God's perfection in some measure, in our heart, our mind, what we said or didn't say, what we did or what we didn't do, we knew we were a sinner. And we're smart enough to know that through our sin, we can't get to heaven. Jesus is perfect. God is perfect. Heaven's got to be perfect. It's the sin that separates us from this holy God. We know that. and Maybe we've known it so much that we began to chase what false teachers told us to do. Yes, you're a sinner, so now be good. Yes, you're a sinner. Do some good stuff in the community. Give money to the the poor people. Or maybe do some religious things. Take communion, join a church, be baptized. Take care of yourself physically. Quit your smoking, drinking, cussing, whatever. And the false teachers are telling us, giving us a false sense of security, but inside you says, I know all that and I shouldn't do all that stuff, but I'm still not right with God. And God says, you're right, because it's not by deeds you do. You need me to give you my righteousness. You need me to forgive you of everything you've done wrong. And so I've done the work on the cross. I died. I shed my blood. I rose again from the dead. I proved who I was. I conquered death. I conquered sin. I paid the price. I'm prompting you to receive this. But now this is your choice. All the work he's done, but you still have the choice. He's now placed within you now, this moment, the opportunity to trust Christ as the one who died and rose again so you could have eternal life. It is not good works. It is not trusting Christ and good works. It is only trusting Christ's grace. Is there anyone here today that's now wanting to have a forever relationship with Christ, life, and the potential to have it more abundantly, And it's through Christ, because he came to give, will you now receive? You might say this then to the Lord. Lord, I know I've done things wrong, but I need your forgiveness. I want your relationship. I want to know that I'm heaven bound. And I need you in my life until I get to heaven and then I'll be with you forever, forevermore. So right now, Lord, I am accepting the payment you made for me on the cross I'm accepting the free gift of eternal life that you're offering to me and I'm trusting you as my way to have eternal life. Now, however you say it, it's just in your mind a confidence in Jesus Christ as God who died and rose again for you on the cross and forgives you of sin. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if today's the day you're calling upon the Lord in your own way to be your Savior. Now, when you raise your hand in a moment... You're not going to have to come forward. I won't mention you in my prayer. won't describe you. I won't come to you. In fact, you trusting Christ is really personal. It's within you. It's in your heart, mind, that you're believing in Him. But I will pray for you. Now, my prayer won't get you into heaven. You're already, in he- you're already going to heaven then because you trusted Christ. I'm just rejoicing in knowing that you did that. And I'd like to just pray for you. Wouldn't you like to have a new friend pray for you? Pastor pray for you? I'd like to pray for you. So, is there anyone here today with heads bowed, eyes closed, that would say with a hand, no words, but with a hand, I trust in Christ as my Savior today. I'm heaven bound. Put your hand up right now. Is there anyone that's doing it today trusting Christ? Never done it before. Put your hand up real high, real high, real high. Okay. Christians, how many of you, this abundant life, God spoke to you today, maybe about a rejoice factor you have to work on, maybe it's a prayer factor. Maybe it's a thanksgiving factor. Maybe you and the Spirit have been wrestling and you know that you haven't been so prompted by the Spirit. You're really sensing a distance and you know that it's your fault, not His. He didn't move, you did. And maybe some of you realize that you go to church as an obligation or to do your task because people expect you. You have your Bible and you read it when you have to, but you don't really read it for transformation in relationship with the Lord. And God spoke to you. And some of you are saying, you know what? I've been letting other people speak to me, but I haven't let God speak to me. And so while I'm grateful for teachers that God has gifted in my life, men and women, I really want to make sure that they're right. So I too want to know God's word. And there are some sins in my life, my thought, my talk, my walk. And so I don't want to just have a correct message. I want to have a correct modeling of a life. Because as I do this, it's through my lips and my life that I'm mentoring my children, the people that are around me, whether I know it or not. Pastor, would you pray for me? Because as I I see that Jesus Christ is coming at any moment and I celebrate that, I want him to find me busy about his business from the inside out. Pastor, pray for me because he will do it if I let him. Would you raise your hand? Is there anyone that would like to have prayer for that? My hand is up. Pray for me too. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we go from grace to grace. We grow from from step to step. So help us, Father. We thank you that you are in our life and that you will do this. And that, Father, that when you do this in our life, others will see it and it will fulfill the purpose for which we've been called to bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen.